Now, uh, one more thing. Where does he keep his supply? His... Hey. What are you trying to get me killed? Come on, Priscilla. Where does he keep it? You know, don't you? You lived with him. You get out of here. Right now. Go on. Get out of here. Get out. So you want to play with knives, huh? Well, you picked the wrong player. No. No, please, look, I didn't mean nothing. Please. Oh, no. No, no I'm going to give you another slice to match the one you got from that dog pushing pimp. Unless you tell me where he keeps the stuff. No, please. He'll kill me. Oh, all right. All right. He's got a fireplace. It's in a box under the ashes. The following film podcast frequently contains adult content, including foul language and descriptions of adult situations. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. Listener discretion is advised. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. (laughs) They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 152, and I'm your host, Lee. Baby, jails where the, some of the finest people I know are these days, Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. This is the end of your rotten life, you motherfucking dope pusher. Harper, how you doing, sir? I'm uh, doing quite well. There's still a leak in my kitchen, but, you know, that's more of a personal problem. Uh, the polar vortex. I haven't been at work in like a week. It's it's been really disgusting. Jesus. Um, so yeah, yeah. The, the 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 polar vortex missed us. Like yeah. people on the coasts are fine. It's the middle of fucking North. America. Not not only not only did it get down to like minus fifteen Fahrenheit outside, my heater uh, was having issues. Uh, it got down to forty Fahrenheit, Shit. which is about five centigrade for people with rational temperature systems mm-hmm. in, in place and it's inside my house for about a day and a half. Ew. So, um, yeah, I've had a really shitty week, but I had some very lovely Pam Greer to watch. So, uh, you know, that did help. That did help. Although it's been a bit of a, I've been suffering for my art this week. It's been a thing, you know, so. I'm, so, I'm sorry to hear that, but, uh, yeah, Pam Greer has a way of keeping people warm though. Uh, yeah. I, I will say, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and of course, if you hadn't guessed, if you hadn't read the title of the fucking podcast that you're listening to right now, we're actually going to be covering uh, two Jack Hill-directed Pam Greer starring vehicles in Coffee and Foxy Brown. But before we get to that, we do we have, have a lot a... of business, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, lots of housekeeping. We've got a lot of comments here, so we're going to get right into it. So first off, from someone called Kai Clear, who just joined our Facebook group, says... Hi, Lee and Daniel. Love the podcast. Came for the F for Fake and Other Side of the Wind episodes and stayed for the Policio Teske playlist. Perfect to listen to when you're walking home through Late Night London and other cult flipperies you two discuss. Big thanks. Well, thank you for listening and thanks for joining in. Of course. Please, go give us a review on iTunes. 
when they're yeah. that good. You know. <laughs> uh, or Apple yeah. Podcasts. I don't even know what they're calling it these days. Whatever, you yeah, know. I, do, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's dubious. If you can manage a way to give us a review on iTunes, it would definitely be appreciated, but it's not a necessity, of course. Yeah. We're not trying to like reach an audience or anything with this. No, we so don't. We don't. We have no audience. It's, it's fucking it's sad. Um, <laughs> this is Sullivan. two middle-aged men sitting around and talking about Pam Greer's ass for two hours. That's what we're gonna do tonight. So it's fine. Yeah, Cameron Sullivan says you guys should do an episode uh, over cult films that got rediscovered despite being abandoned at the theater's home video, or films that were forgotten for good reason. And he actually links an, an article in this comment about the new um, film Serenity, I guess, that got dumped by production. I heard that was interesting but bad. Yeah, um, that's what I heard too. Yeah, based on, um, what's his name? Uh, foldable, foldable ideas, folding ideas. Mm. I forget his name off the top of my head. A great YouTuber. Yeah, apparently. I haven't watched his review, but I, I've heard that was interesting but not very good, but also interesting. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'd love to do, I mean... um. Uh, what's his name? Nathan Phipps used to do on uh, the AV Club. He used to do a series called, uh, you know, or he may still. I haven't watched. I haven't looked at the AV Club in a while. But <laughs> he used to do the uh, the sort of you know uh, the, uh, flops, my year of flops. You know, where yeah. it was these these giant big budget movies that did really poorly, and and you know, was it was it actually good? You know, was it a flop or fiasco kind of thing? And uh, no, I I really like the idea of kind of exploring, you know. I mean, a lot of what we do never really made money anyway, you know, <laughs> but... Uh... Yeah, and what, what Cameron <clears throat> kind of focusing on here is basically, and this is something that requires some research from us, so I, I mm -hmm. told him it, we'll either do an episode on it or it'll be just something like we talk about in our preamble or whatever, but it's it's basically films that had promise but were just all of a sudden, for whatever reason, dropped by, like, their major distrib distribution company or whatever, like, mm -hmm. you know, Paramount bought it up and then it's, fuck it, we're not even putting it in theaters or kind of thing. You know? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, it would be, in, I don't know, the direct-to-video market, you know, even the concept of direct-to-video is kind of a, uh, a uh, an anachronism at this point, but there's, mm -hmm. there's this really interesting, you know, phenomenon of these movies that were supposed to get theatrical release that had, you know, name actors in them that then just kind of went on to be like dreaming only or whatever, or went to direct a video for like kind of complex reasons. A lot of those movies are actually, you know, pretty decent, you know, not, not terrible. And then, you know, I mean, whatever, I don't know. It's, that's interesting. I, I would, um, maybe we'll do a series of those, you know, we can do a month of those and just kind of see uh, if, if he's got some titles for us, that would be the kind of easy way to, to go about that. That, that would be the know? thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cameron, uh, yeah, we're, we're just gonna, <laughs> you, you made the request. So you give us the titles, and then we'll pick from them. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about whether they're whether they were worthy of uh, mass distribution, or if the companies involved were right to drop them and just let them die. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. I actually I like that idea. Cameron, give us a list. Cameron Sullivan is actually in the industry; he's in the know. So give us a good list of films, Cameron, and. We will do that episode for you. Yeah. But, yeah or or cool. multi, I mean, you know, I'd be fine with doing a Or multi-episodes. Yeah, yeah, we, we could do a lot of it. Yeah. Like, give us some titles. He's been, he's been commenting often enough. And if he's in the oh. industry, why not, why not introduce us to your friends in the industry, <laughs> Cameron? And, uh, you know, we could actually do some of these remakes. Yeah. Uh, all the remakes we've been suggesting, you know, we could get some funding. You get some yeah. mil millions behind us and we'll I, be the fucking brain geniuses you, behind these great movies. You'd be amazed at what I could do with, you know, just like $5 million, you know. 
the the yeah. amount of time I could spend on a Caribbean island for just five million dollars, <laughs> you know, pumping out these podcasts, it would be great. You know. Anyway. <laughs> Continuing on, Jay Deering says, "Way off topic, but just saw the new L- Lars Van Tiers film, The Host That Jack Built." Dear God, please cover this one. Love or hate on an upcoming upcoming show, please. Uh, and also keep up the good work, gang. He says, "I'd be willing to do that." We've sure. never done any Lars von Trier. We, we've never done a, a von Trier. I'd, I'd be I'd be down for that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched a lot of his films, honestly. I mean, I watched Answer in the Dark, which was kind of the like the one kind of hit of you know where. Yeah, I hate to be. That's his one hit because it's yeah. not really a hit, but. It was kind of the the one moment which I, I really enjoyed, and I just kind of went, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of you know a lot of the other stuff he makes seems uh, really fucked up and not in the way that I'm that I'm like oh yeah I'd love to sit down and watch four hours of Kirsten Dunst going crazy and eating afterbirth or whatever you know that would be an amazing experience but you know, <laughs> I think I just connected like four of his films into one concept but you kind of get where I'm going for on that yeah. Know, so. But uh, I mean, after we're done with the black exploitation stuff, maybe we'll take a week and, and do that film next month or whatever. You know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll uh, always see. That's always the answer we give. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, Philip and that a- means a- no, we're not doing that. But <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we we probably will, Jay. I, uh, we we appreciate the suggestion, so we'll we'll probably uh, figure that in within the next month or so. Philippe Robaud says, "Good film. Interesting fact: the DVD of this, and this is on Battle of Algiers. DVD of this came out shortly after the U.S. bogged down in Iraq, and there was a scramble by the Pentagon to buy enough copies to ship out to their commanders in the field. So apparently, they were like cornering the market. Yeah." They were, I mean, we, we did mention how they were uh, giving this to people to uh, basically here. Here's how you don't do a occupation of a country. And uh, uh, I just, put down I a- just love that they're like seeking out enough copies. They literally had a run on the battle of Algiers, which means that the DVD house, whichever DVD like criterion or whatever yeah. had to like do another pressing, which means they actively like pushed this into sort of best-selling DVD status or whatever on yeah. some like number crunchers thing for the exact wrong reason. Right. <laughs> you know, like, you've literally, <laughs> you know, great. Not only did you miss the point of the film, you know, like this is bad. Right. But uh, you've missed the point of the film in a way that just makes more copies of this film available and ri- raises its profile for people. So uh, that in and of itself is kind of a metaphor for the uh, war in Iraq, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> this, this kind of shit makes me think that people in the government still think reefer madness is an accurate depiction of marijuana use. Like, can, I, can tell you, I can tell you that's true. That, that's mm. definitely true. It's, you you take one you you take put one puff on the marijuana cigarette and you go incurably insane and you play piano a lot you know it's... well you know what Jeff Sessions said about the Ku Klux Klan right no I didn't hear this uh, this is this is a while ago he said uh, you know he he was hanging out with the Ku Klux Klan and the one thing he didn't like about him was that they smoked pot. <laughs> That's the thing he didn't like about him. That's the thing he didn't like, you know. Yeah. And for me, that'd be like the one thing. Like, okay, yeah, I'm with you. Sure. Yeah, that'd be like that'd be like the one thing. The I'd one be thing where I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Look, you're trying to, you know, intimidate or segregate all the African Americans and Jews or whatever. But mm. you know, uh, maybe the smoke some more weed and chill out a little bit instead of, uh, you know, bomb things. That's you see, that's 
knowing that is what would even make it more offensive to me where I'd be like, I want to stomp you motherfuckers into the ground because you shouldn't even have the pleasure of smoking pot. You fucking pieces of shit. But that's just me. Well, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Too. <laughs> an, an equally valid uh, perspective as far as I'm mm. concerned. I, I, I want to go Pam Greer on your fucking asses. Jeff Williams, he's taken up my demand that he gives us a suggestion of the week. This is his suggestion of the week. It is devil in the brain. And he says, this stars Kier Dulia uh, of 2001. 2001 film. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> stars an American expatriate who returns to Italy after several years' absence, only discover his old friend doesn't seem to remember him. With the help of a kindly doctor, he digs into the mystery and discovers murder, insanity, conspiracy, and more. And he says this is a, basically a 70s uh, giallo that doesn't follow the conventional black glove killer trope. Devil in the Brain is nonetheless an engaging, well-written mystery that solely draws you in with its layered flashback structure and delivers several unexpected twists along the way. So... That sounds list-worthy. <laughs> it definitely sounds like list-worthy. It sounds like a bit like a noir, and you had uh-huh. me at ultimately, you know? Because I want to see him in more stuff. Basically, the only... I mean, I've seen him in uh, that one. I've seen him in uh, uh, Battle at Blood Gulch or something like that, which is sort mm-hmm. of like kind of a Westworld, but not... I don't know. It's one of those like oh, yeah. Westerns kind of things. And I've seen him... He was in an episode of Law & Order like way back in the day. And uh, that's... Huh. I don't think that's literally everything I've seen him in, but it's basically all i've seen him in and i'd love to see him in some more stuff it's, i mean the, the guy's had a career it's not like he's yeah, not no, no. been in he's shit. had a perfectly fine career you know yeah. for, for a kind of working character actor you know it's it's just one of those you know it's a tough business unfortunately and um but he's great i actually i actually really like him you know, yeah so. and also uh going back to youtube we've hit both ends of the spectrum this week daniel okay, uh, okay. We, we've had really good and really bad so okay, uh, okay. Wh- which do you want first really good or really bad Give me the bad first. Okay. So on our Radioactive Dreams Cherry 2000 episode. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Uh, someone called Drain Mudvane 27 says. Oh, no. Drain, is it spelled like the band Mudvane? Yes. Drain Mudvane. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Drain Mudvane 27 says. We're still says, caring about Mudvane in 2017. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, go ahead. He says, fucking loser. So I responded, who's the loser and why? And then he follows up saying, you are, you fucking tool, for posting this crap. Isn't it fucking obvious, you retard? Look at your thumbs down, clown. (laughs) With a question mark. Uh, Look at your thumbs down, clown? Yeah, look at look at your thumbs down, comma clown is what he means. No, there's no. Yeah, he means that, but there's no comma. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know. (laughs) And also, your is. The U R. Yeah, I mean, I hate your... I hate to be prescriptivist about language, but if you're gonna chop in YouTube comments and make fun of us on a podcast where we make fun of all of our YouTube commenters, probably use the comma. You yeah, because otherwise so, you're just making it easy for me. Mm. So this is a this is apparently another person who thinks we're like doing clickbait on on our channel or whatever (laughs) where it's like oh you 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 expected the movie radioactive dreams and cherry 2000 in an hour and a half uh so i i basically replied to him saying it's obvious to people who can read descriptions and video lengths i I guess you're not one of them just another unwashed youtube shithead basically (laughs) you should you should create a uh, a graphic that says something like you know if you want to see the movie click here 
and then make that the graphic for the podcast with it not include a link, you know, or anything. And, uh, you know, just, just to, uh, because I imagine a lot of these guys are either drunk or stoned and mm-hmm. they click on the link and then just randomly click for a while. It would amuse me. It would yeah. Amuse me. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking maybe I should play around of our YouTube version of our podcast a little bit and, you know, try to fuck with people because it seems like it's so easy to fuck with people on YouTube. <laughs> well, you know, YouTube commenters are, you know, basically all Nazis at this point. It's, it's just, that's just what it is. Uh, but the good side of the spectrum. Okay. It's for the good side of the spectrum. The person who said nice things about us, at least hypothetically, mm-hmm. I haven't heard the comment yet. I did not look at it and probably does not believe in an all white ethno state. Probably we not. Will, and this person might've said nice things about us and believe in the all white ethno state. And if Could that's be. true, Fuck you, regardless of how nice the thing you said about me is. But I'll still take the how nice thing you said about me. So I checked out this person's channel. They don't look like a Nazi. But on our Hard Bodies Perfect Timing episode, <laughs> California Grace 6868 says, thank you, guys. So there you go. They appreciated the podcast. They appreciated that we covered two movies, one kind of a classic and one uh, unknown Completely classic. unknown, but brilliant. In its mm-hmm. own way, yeah, no. I mean, I'm not saying that perfect timing is the equal to Battle of Algiers. <laughs> That's unfair to Battle of Algiers, honestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, ba- I mean, you know, Battle of Algiers doesn't have any like uh, you know photographers' brothers tricking women into getting naked. And, yeah. You know, it's like you I know, mean, uh... if only Papushka could have been oh, yeah. in Battle of Algiers. Could have been one of the one of the women in the uh, who went off to uh, to do the uh, the the bombings. Uh, oh, she, really she would have. That's how can we improve that film? Papushka like showing up and uh, take your top off and then bombing something. That would be the uh, that would be the way. Yeah, she she would run the revolution. I think she would be. The yeah, head she of the... would absolutely, and she'd win. There there would be no there'd be no revolution <laughs> leaders being killed and hunted down. She would actually beat the fucking paratroopers, you know, kick this them is, out of this Algiers. Is, this is the sort of exploitation version of Battle of Algiers, and I'm here for it. Let's just rewrite the history of the <laughs> of the Algerian independence movement in the 60s and 70s. Let's just rewrite that. It sounds let's just totally cool. let's just totally exploit and demean that whole fucking fiasco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah, I think we've already done that, so let's yeah. just move on. <laughs> Although, have we? Have you? Have you finished? This is a good point because I do have a. Uh, I do have a comment on the Erudatorum Press Discord server, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I can put a link, uh, like an invite link. Uh, so I do hang out there. Uh, they do. It's a kind of a lefty kind of political board. Lots of Doctor Who talk. There is a board where I talk about my uh, Nazi research. If you want to kind of go and follow me there, I'll, I'll, I'll provide a link to Lee. Um, But uh, we did get a comment from Merwinian, and uh, I'll just read this now. Um, And he says, you know, I nearly choked on my pizza while listening to the new Timbados. Did not expect to be laughing so hard during a podcast about the Battle of Algiers. (laughs) And I responded, the guillotine bit? And he responded, of course. So uh, (laughs) if you haven't listened to that one, apparently uh, don't eat pizza while listening. That's probably the best option here. Mm, That's yeah. what I learned from that comment. Yeah, is, eat, you know, eat pizza before or after. But yeah, yeah. Uh, really, we you... should say that for this podcast in general is don't have pizza. It's probably hazardous to your health while because, listening to this podcast. Because like, let's face it, we're fucking hilarious. 
I mean, well, it's just pizza. Pizza, it's just pizza and this podcast don't mix. We could it's, kill you. We could, you know, the pizza would kill you. We're just, uh, we're just the callous. That's all. You would, that. you would choke on the excess of cheese. Like if you have a lot of cheese in your pizza, <laughs> you're a lot die. of cheese on the podcast, a lot of cheese in the pizza, not mm-hmm. a good mix. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so we can move on. Uh, Daniel, what have you watched lately? I, I have nothing to mention, so okay. uh, no. Uh, I'll, I'll keep this really quick because I actually want people to watch this and not. I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. Uh, the new Netflix series, Russian Doll, which premiered yesterday as we're recording this. It was released, uh, you know, February 1st. This is the new Natasha Leone series. She is kind of a co-producer uh, alongside Amy Poehler and uh, somebody else. I forget the name. She directed the last episode. It's an eight episode limited series. There's something online that's saying like, oh, there's going to be like series two or whatever. It's like, no, this is pretty much a complete story. I would really like it to remain a complete story. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant. It's kind of a Groundhog Day scenario. If you're sort of advertised that way is this sort of New York Russian Jewish woman who starts reliving the same party over and over again. Um, But it goes in a very, very different place. And I will just say, sit down and watch it at first. It's kind of this very black comedy and it moves into a very, very different place. And I've already said too much, honestly. I mean, I was, I, I kind of intentionally spoiled myself towards the end because I was, I just kind of, lo- I just had to know, like, where's this going, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, we definitely, like, plowed through this. My wife and I plowed through this in four hours. And it's, uh, it's eight, basically 30 minute episodes. They're actually a little bit less than 30 minutes. So three and a half hours or so. And it's really fucking good. I will recommend it. If you get through the first two and you're uncertain, watch the third one. And if you're not hooked at the end of the third one, you know, walk away. It's fine. But, I still kind of think you're a bad person, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to say nothing else. It's, it's actually really, really fucking good. And it's, and it's kind of, I'll just say like a kind of big picture. It actually is sort of a representation of kind of how therapy works and, you know, okay. sort of how people talk through problems and how, yeah, there's this deep metaphor and it's, uh, I don't know, there's, there's a lot to it. I only watched it yesterday. I was surprised at how effective it was by the end. So go Sweet. I'm going to check it out. I didn't even I didn't even see it anywhere on Netflix. Like I didn't see it advertised or anything. Yeah, so. I mean Netflix is so like they keep you in your little box of like the things yeah. that you're already watching. I saw it you know, like advertised. It's the kind of the it just kind of showed up as like the like the big splash screen or whatever. Right. But it is it's not even like I don't watch other movies. It's just I only watch like certain kinds of movies on Netflix. And so Netflix just sort of recommends more of the same. And my wife, her Netflix, she watches other kinds of things and so she gets in her silo and i get in my silo and so sometimes we'll flip back and forth just to like get like combinations but there's stuff i'd really love to watch that netflix just never tells me exists i um, fucking i was recently I, on i really uh, just want to reset my entire like netflix profile just so it'll mm-hmm. just give me like a raw thing again you know? yeah so, yeah because i was i actually talked about this um I'm going to be on an upcoming episode of uh, Gary Hill cinema beef where mm-hmm. my beef was, I'm so fucking tired and pissed off about how Netflix curates shit for people, especially since they've upped their price lately. Like I'm, I don't have a problem with them up in their price. Like I'm, I'm fine with paying 1399 or whatever the fuck yeah. uh, for the service. That's fine. But the way they structure the genres, the way they curate for yeah, people yeah, yeah. is just fucking maddening. And also, 
just the I fact have that no, I have no opinion about tech industry algorithms that have ruined <laughs> the world, by the way. No, yeah. no opinions at all. And, and and just the fact that you fucking most over any fucking picture for a movie and it starts playing a trailer that you don't need to fucking see, and then the description, if you, you know, click further in and go deeper, the description for the movie is usually shit. It's like, like it, how, how, how do they get those things wrong? You're the premier fucking service for giving movies to people, and yet you make it super obtuse and weird for people to use. I, I think the thing with the Netflix like recommendations in there, like it's it's just meant to sort of keep you on it for as long as yeah. possible. It's just meant to kind of give you 30 seconds of something to watch and then like click away and then 30 more seconds of something. Whereas like if it was something made kind of more for like movie people that want to like really explore different kinds of things, mm-hmm. it would be a lot more of a kind of like a like a list or some, you know, like, oh, give me alphabetical or give me, throw, throw me something different, you know? And it's just, it's just the way these algorithms are designed. It's, it's just meant to like sort of draw eyeball attention for as long as humanly possible, regardless of whether that's actually giving the end user a satisfying experience. And the fact- ironically, like Netflix does it better than, I mean, I don't know, like even these giant tech companies, just they, they all do the same fucking thing. They're all like kind of designed the same way, like Amazon Prime yeah. is sort of the same fucking thing. And it's yeah, just, just the fact that I have to go to another website to find a code to put in the URL box to find my specific type of sex comedy I want to find on fucking Netflix? Why why do I have to do that? I I was okay with this multi-level breakdown of comedy as a genre on Netflix. It wasn't confusing for me, Netflix. It wasn't hurting my eyes. It wasn't making me leave your service. I actually appreciated the fact that you separated everything at one point, and I could pick what I wanted. Late-night comedies versus this kind of kind of comedy or this kind of comedy or horror movies, zombie movies, monster movies. I, I feel like it's really gone downhill in the last couple of years too, where mm-hmm. I feel like there was this sort of sense where the algorithm was kind of creating these, these categories that were actually sort of like interesting, you know, like, you know, yeah. feel good, dark comedies or whatever, yes. you know, like where, where in, and it was kind of this idea of, Oh, this might actually kind of show me things that I'm not expecting it to show me necessarily, you know? And, and I think partly it's because their, because their library is so much smaller than it used to be. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a few years ago they were kind of the only game in town and now everything again is getting like increasingly siloed and it's like, well, you know, what are you going to do about it? But, you know, I think it still behooves them to be, you know, good with their viewers though. I mean, you, you want to keep your audience, give them the shit they want to see, like fucking, I love the fact that I could find, instead of, you know, horror movies, zombie movies, monster movies, creature features, shit, shit, shit. You know, like, mm-hmm. I could I could pick what I, what I wanted. I mean, your fucking uh, output, output for horror movies is usually pretty fucking super limited, but at least you had all these different categories I could pick from. Now I actually have to hunt for your shit, and I have to hunt through the 8,000 fucking Hindi dance romance comedy <laughs> movies that you got in the last month because you no, got the license to because them. they got the license to them and suddenly it just like overwhelms everything yeah no uh, and i'm, I'm yeah, not no, trying to insult indie dance movies no but, no, you no know. it's just like i you know i don't necessarily want that in my horror movie you know recommendation feed or yeah whatever. you know yeah no it just it feels like a little bit of a stretch to think like oh yeah i just watched poltergeist uh let's watch uh monsoon wedding 
Not, you know. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, we should uh, take a break. We're going to play a little bit of music. We're going to have some podcast promos, and we're going to come back with Coffee from 1973. You ungodly warlock. Hello, and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I am Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, 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 and he said, bark, 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 and she said, bark, 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 bark. that's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner, the other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> the boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, This is the Doomed Show is available on hellodoomedshow.podomatic.com. Dot com and doomedmoviethon.com Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show, Richard Brad Jeffrey Nava. It's the Doom Show. Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show, slashes, G.I. Low and Horror. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Huh, necrophilia. Ah, it's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. You ungodly warlock. Coffee from 1973. My name's Coffee. 
I know what you want to, and you're gonna get it. This is the end of your rotten life, you dope pusher! You crawl over here, you black trash. You want me to crawl? What are you doing? Put that down. You want to spit on me and make me crawl? Just admit it. Did this man send you to kill me? No. He didn't know nothing. Take her out and kill her. I think of all the fun I could have had with a good-looking stud like you. Really mean that? All your friends are dead. Well, I killed them all. Directed by Jack Hill, and if you don't know who Jack Hill is, you probably haven't watched a lot of exploitation films, because he is the man behind such films as The Wasp Woman, The Terror, Mondo Keyhole, which is something I think we need to look into. I just love the title alone. It just sounds fucking awesome. (laughs) Spider Baby, which I think is a classic that uh, most people kind of know him for. The Big Dollhouse, The Big Bird Cage, Switchblade Sisters and The Swinging Cheerleaders, among other things. Also written by Jack Hill, and is starring Pam Greer as Coffee, Booker Bradshaw as Howard Brunswick, Robert Duque as King George, William Elliott as Carter, Alan Arbus as Arturo Vitroni, Sid Haig, the awesome Sid Haig, as Omar, Barry Cahill as McHenry, Lidi Bro as Nick, and Ruben Monero as Ramos. And the synopsis I pulled from IMDb says, Nurse Coffee Coffin leads a double life. During the day, she's a nurse at work. At night, she's an avenging angel on a personal vendetta, tracking down the drug pushers who hooked her younger sister on drugs. Along the way, she meets an honest police detective who also is leading a double life from Blaze Snakes 9. Kind of accurate, although that police detective doesn't last long. Yeah, and that's more of a, a premise than a synopsis, but you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, doesn't really describe the plot, but it describes you know the first uh, third of the movie or so, like yeah, yeah, not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is this the first time you? With yeah, you so this? this this is a first time like kind of full watch of both of these films for me, mm-hmm. um, and I intentionally wanted to do them just to you know kind of force myself to watch them. I guess we'll talk a little bit more of that when we get to the second film. Yeah, this is a. I I sat down. I uh, you know. We had a lot of snow this week, and so I had a lot of time to just kind of sit and watch movies, although it was uh, fucking freezing in this fucking house. Yeah. But yeah, no, I uh, sat down, I watched it, uh, really enjoyed this. 
either one of these or both could be on kind of a top 10 of the year for me. Um, nice. But particularly, I think coffee is, uh, you know, if you if you ask me which one is sort of the, the more sophisticated, more kind of put together film, it's definitely Foxy Brown. I mean, that's that's kind of the one that's has a little bit more kind of thematic resonance. But I actually think I prefer coffee. And I think mm-hmm. I, I like the uh, the slightly lower budget, more kind of raw feel of it. I really like the sort of uh, simplicity of it. And uh, I really love the fact that like the structure of it is basically a, uh, like a Sam Spade novel or a, uh, you know, Dashiell Hammett novel. But instead of the continental op kind of going behind the scenes and, you know, infiltrating and then, you know, beating up the bad guys, it's African-American nurse goes in and has to like take care of her neighborhood. I mean, you know, structurally, this plot works very much like one of those, one of those old noir films. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what I just love that about the film. It just, it just, it's so like note perfect for that. I really enjoy this. I really enjoy the performances. I love the music. I, I mean, it's just, it's great. I watched it earlier in the week and then I was rewatching it right before we kind of sat down <laughs> to, uh, you know, just to kind of refamiliarize myself with it. Cause usually I like to watch these pretty close to the record time just to sort of have it in my head. Yeah. No, this is, this is, this is great stuff. Can we just watch Pam Grimm movies forever? she's so amazing she's so lovely i I actually think uh, her performance is a little bit better than foxy brown i mean this feels a little bit more a lot of it feels a little bit more forced but Mm -hmm. she's a fucking force of nature in this film she is absolutely not just stunning but has this real you can't take your fucking eyes off of her in this film and it's because of personality and performance and just energy and you get why like every person in the film is just mesmerized by her it's yeah. Thing. Yeah. So, yeah. No. Great film. I will definitely be rewatching this. It's amazing. Nice. Yeah. I haven't seen either of these films in a long time. Although I, I did, I definitely did see them years ago. But I mean, rewatching, just seeing Pam Greer. Basically, she instantly owns the screen. This isn't her first movie, but this is her first really big role where she kind of gets to shine a little bit. The opening few minutes of this is you see her. Oh, at, yeah. You, you see, it hooks you immediately, right? Yeah, like, you, yeah. You, you see her attitude very quickly. She has a titty out, but the next moment she's basically blowing a drug dealing shithead's fucking head off. You know, like uh, it has it so, has one of the great openings. Uh, I mean, particularly if you didn't know that's Pam Greer. Like if you again showed up to this film in like 1973. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's the pretty girl who's been in uh, some other movies I've seen, whatever, you know. And yeah. you, you could kind of be led to think this is more of an introduction to the villain, you know, who, like, this is just the random girl he's going to fuck. And then you mm-hmm. kind of go off and, but no, it turns the tables immediately. And she's like, I'm going to blow your fucking head off, you motherfucker. And yeah. uh, I love that it kind of goes from there. She's uncertain about kind of the morality of it. And she's kind of talking right. to people. And it's it's very close to the ground in terms of keeping her integrated into her community, into this neighborhood. And, you know, like the cop, the, you know, the black cop who's, you know, the guy with the heart of gold, who's kind of the one like really good kind of pure character in the film. But at the same time, there is just this problematic aspect of, you know, like you can't really trust the fucking cops ever, you know, <laughs> and yeah. that feels very modern to me. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of talking over you here, but, you know. But yeah, yeah, the one good cop who's the black cop who eventually gets beaten into brain damage in a coma, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> is 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 he gonna be okay well he might be able to use the bathroom by himself one day it's like oh jesus Christ. jesus yeah it's like, that's dark yeah that's it really is. dark <laughs> but i mean you, you gotta think first off only a nurse who looks like pam greer would have a chance of taking care of me with having the name nurse coffin like right, <laughs> that's, right, right, that's right, going right. on the nose is like nurse coffin 
I think I might want to find a different doctor. Just, I, just... I feel like, I feel like they were trying to like they were going for the like the coffee colored skin pun, yeah, you know. Yes, and they had to like reverse engineer that. Well, what could her name be that her that her name is Coffee? And I feel like they could have just as easily named her, you know, like Brenda Smith. She really likes coffee or something. Yeah, <laughs> and... I don't know. Early on, you see her at her uh, hospital job, and the black doctor meets up with the black cop and they do like bro handshake instead of like yeah. usual handshake. I, I just love that they throw that in there. And I just love Pam Greer's performance. She's just full on energy. She works with the shitty lines she's given for the most yeah. part, you know. I, I think I think the one thing about her performance in this more so than in the others that it does feel like sometimes yeah, this was a first take. You mm-hmm. know, this it you know where some of the some of the, particularly some of the early scenes you kind of get or kind of the more where she's supposed to be energetic or angry or whatever it feels like she's slightly over the like kind of not hitting that quite emotional register in it but i yeah. feel like that's a she was probably still fairly inexperienced at this point and really had not i don't want to a make excuses for her or b you know kind of shit on her because i think she's great in the film but there are moments like yeah this feels a little bit like kind of a a student film you know, a little bit, a little bit more of a, you know, and, and it's and it's just kind of line readings. But I think overall, she's really, really good, and she's got this physicality and presence. And I, part of that is just there are bad lines, but I, I kind of suspect like there's a lot of the stuff where they did one or two takes, and that's kind of all. The, that's that's yeah. just how that's just how this stuff worked at that time. But that is again uh, completely solved by Foxy Brown, which she just kind of inhabits it the entire. Time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this film never slows down. I mean, it, it it tries to sprinkle in little messages about the ills plaguing the black community, in between like <laughs> unrelenting fucking exposition, nudity, and violence kind of thing. Yeah. This film definitely gets that you know the war on drugs is bullshit and how it's like, yeah, yeah. Corrupt, corrupt up and down. Well, like, it's like the you know these drug lords are feeding drugs into these communities and the cops are like arresting the people who do the drugs but then like taking bribes from the drug lords in order to you know and so it's it's you know this idea you know i mean the drug the drug war is bullshit and Mm -hmm. i think if you're listening to my voice right now you probably agree with me the drug war was always bullshit it was always a a racist piece of garbage that was meant to you know kind of do terrible things to the african-american community that's that's just what it always was well yeah Um, the 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 cop boyfriend or or friend whatever says basically again like you were talking coffee is conflicted about the shit she's doing like she's constantly talking to her cop boyfriend basically do you think taking action and being becoming a vigilante is the way to stop these people and he mentions well you can kill as many drug dealers as you want the fact of the matter is these drugs are coming from somebody in like Vietnam or yep. some, some other place. And unless you go there and kill them, then what difference are you really making? You know? Yeah. And that's the whole thing with, I mean, that's the whole thing with like petty crime mm-hmm. in general, you know? Yeah. You can arrest a mugger. You can arrest somebody who's, you know, but unless you're like addressing the actual material conditions that made this person like, have to do that you know most people don't turn to that kind of crime on a whim you know or just because they're just like kind of personally invested in this thing you know i mean it's not that that never happens but you know certainly economic conditions create this and to pretend that that's not true uh is kind of the the uh the complicity of you know (laughs) the the just the government that that creates it and I, i feel like i mean the film i mean i'm i'm not trying to get overly intellectual with this but the film is really talking about that and it's yeah. doing it in a way that 
is really kind of beneath the surface. It, it just sort of accepts it as the reality. And, you know, <laughs> I just, I just kind of love that. It just sets it in this world and just kind of says, yeah, this is just the thing that's happening. And this is like coffee's response to that, you know? And yeah. uh, what else are you going to do if uh, you got drugs coming into your neighborhood and the cops are all on the take and things are shitty and, uh, you know, your boyfriend, your cop boyfriend, which is kind of <laughs> complicated and problematic, but, you know, mm-hmm. your cop boyfriend uh, gets killed. What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And uh, the answer is uh, go blow away some motherfuckers. And um, that she does quite well. Yeah, um, Cuffy like eliminates corruption on every level, like from street level to police level to politics. Like she, she yeah. kills all of them. <laughs> well, she goes after. Um, she goes. She like infiltrates this like uh, a gang of prostitutes or this mm-hmm. sort of high class call girl ring. It's funny how like the structures of the two films are very similar and yet very mm-hmm. different. And I'm gonna when we get to Foxy Brown, I do want to kind of bring that back up because I think the thing that makes me like Coffee more is the. Uh, uh, the structure of it. I think it really kind of gets to what it's doing a lot quicker mm-hmm. is a lot more um, thematically resonant in some ways because of it. So she kind of joins this, uh, this ring because she fools this pimp into believing that she's this uh, like foreign sounding person. You know, she's, she's a Jamaican. A, she's supposed she to be Jamaican. The Jamaican accent, right? Which is yeah. terrible. Which is terrible, <laughs> which is, you know, I'd say it's racist, but I'm not in a place to judge that at this point. I'm just going to let it go. I'm not, yeah, I'm but, not going to say racist. I'm just going to say it's it's a, the worst Jamaican accent I've ever heard on film. <laughs> but but I also but I also believe that that guy would buy it because oh he would because I would buy it. I would buy it because if uh, if I got to sleep with Pam Greer, but only yes. if I believed that Pam Greer in 1973, but only if I believed that accent was real, I would find every reason. To find that accent, oh, Pam, Pam Greer now could talk to me in that accent, and I'd fucking yeah, sleep with her. That's fair enough. That's there's fair no, enough. there's no question. I, I wasn't trying to say not now, but I was definitely mm. trying to kind of push that level of like, yeah. Have you have you seen the film? Uh, because she's perfect. Uh, I mean, she th- there is like an equal ratio between her kicking ass and getting nude in this film, which is yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I also love the sensuality, like the the scene that she has with her boyfriend, who's gonna mm. run for office, gonna run for Congress or whatever. Right. I really love that that sequence where like they're both nude in front of the fireplace, and there's a there's a real um. It remind you know the Ganja and Hess kind of has mm-hmm. that like a lot of that kind of you know god this is such a problematic thing to say but that like black sensuality and that kind of sense yeah, no, of like that these it's are very uh it's very openly frankly showing black characters nude on film in like a semi-mainstream production kind of thing you well know? And, and in a way that is not it's hard to say not exploitative because it's not like the it's the well, whole no, film it's, industry it's, is exploitative you know it's and an exploitation these film, film but it doesn't it doesn't treat them like fucking shit. It, it treats them like actual characters. It, it you know? treats them as people, and that's yeah. something that's that's really it's it's a really lovely uh, scene. It's really well performed and and like well done. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not I'm not here to sort of either pass judgment or defend it. I'm just here to like it was. It's a really lovely scene if you just kind of take it on its own terms. <laughs> And then she goes and she joins the like the prostitutes. And you get a big girl fight, which is one of the great sequences awesome. in the film. Yeah. I missed uh, the first time I watched it that she put razor blades in her fro. Right. What I saw it the first time, and then like the uh, the jealous blonde girl puts her hands in the fro, and then like draws back bloody hands. Apparently, the film is just saying, "Don't touch a black girl's fro." Like you know, <laughs> you don't touch a black woman's hair. And I was like rewatching it, and I realized, oh. 
And I was like, yeah, you just you just don't touch a black girl's fro. It's that's the punishment you get by touching a black woman's hair. Are you uh, saying that done. their hair was that kinky that it would cut you? <laughs> no, I'm saying that the psychic powers of the black exploitation universe <laughs> will punish you in that way. It's just it's it's a it's like a demon running through the universe doing this. I mean, you know, I've I'm not saying I I I dated a black girl for a while and uh you just you don't you don't touch with her hair. Yeah, you know, without permission. Her, yeah. It's just a thing, you know. And it's a thing that every white person wants to do. And, yeah, you know. That's true. Um, but knowing that she put the, the, the razor blades in there, it was kind of like, yeah, like clever Pam girl. Although, how did you know that that was going to be the girl who was going to like uh, try to pull your hair? I think um, she was just she was just kind of in the eventuality that it might happen. I, I got yeah, 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 yeah. I think she was kind of thinking she was going to use those to cut some motherfucker's throat at some point. Sure. You know? Yeah, that's fair. I it, it it is not quite the level of like how did Rambo know that the guy was going to stand under that particular <laughs> tree? You know, but. Uh, but it's there no and uh so they get you get the fight and then you kind of go off and uh she's gonna sleep with the guy and then she pulls out the gun then you get to the the latter half of the movie and this is the part that really feels like a like a kind of a classic film noir to me structure Mm -hmm. because i mean again you can imagine you know humphrey bogart kind of in that same moment like right he's gonna pull out the gun or he's gonna like you know call the cops or arrest the guy or whatever and then uh no, it turns out, no, you got to put your gun away and then he's tied up or whatever. And then, you know, kind of you get the back half of the movie, which is him like escaping from the toughs. And this stuff is, it's all really effective. It works mm-hmm. really, really well. And I, I just, I, I just love this fucking movie. Like I yeah. legitimately, it's like 92 minutes and it's like a pleasure from start to finish. And, you know. I love that this continues basically the Sid Haig, Pam Greer uh, chemistry the, that they've had in in a, in a previous, at least one previous movie. I think it was Big Bird Cage that they were in together. I, I definitely want to see the uh, the Big Bird Cage at some point. I have not seen that. so mm. I, lo- I love that Haig almost kind of steals the show whenever he shows up on screen with his, he's just basically a thug, but he's kind of an interesting thug to watch. Yeah. And, and there's this one scene where he's lounging around in a pool where he's wearing a do-rag and this really gay shorts and shirt combination he's this like super tough macho dude but then he's wearing something that makes him look like a latino gay pool boy kind of thing <laughs> oh, there's anything wrong with that i mean you no know. i'm not i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. the saying it's like a really you know. funny dichotomy kind of thing with his character you know and I, I love that how, how he's sent to kill Pam Greer's character. He's sent to kill Coffee. Uh, he's like, I'm, I really feel bad about having to kill you because you're such a fine piece of ass. And then Coffee's like, well, we can still do something, you know? It's like, it's a shame, you know? <laughs> and and, and like, how, do you, how do you not go, yeah, I know this is a trick. This is yeah, no, he, he, he's totally fooled by Pam Greer. Well, and like, I, I don't blame him. But it's Pam Greer in 1973, and you think, like, well, I might. I'm, like, 90% chance we're going to die from this. But on the yeah, 10% chance, you know. It's, you know, hey, hey, dirty cop, inject her with heroin, and then I'm going to fuck her under the bridge. No, she stabs you with a needle several times. She shanks your neck with a needle. Yeah. And, 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 you and then my favorite detail, where she puts the sugar in the, like, heroin thing. Yeah, yeah. The, beforehand and then so then we see the other guy like weighing out the thing and we realize it's sugar and then that's the and so it like solves its own like it's i don't know it's like a really clever little plot construction yeah. there again it reminds me of like a really good noir like you know oh no no it's not that i have superhuman powers to resist the the force of heroin 
in my <laughs> in my blood as much as uh yeah you done fucked up <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and uh i also love the the pimp king george who's who's actually kind of a good guy in this film like yeah, could compare to most of the shitty people in this. He just, he just, he's just a victim of circumstance. There's a relative else. scale, and and that's what I. That's another thing I love about it. You know, you're right. It, it is kind of like victim of circumstance, victim of society. You know, kind of whatever. But um, yeah, no. I just love his fucking canary, fucking yellow outfit he wears, or actually, it's kind of mustard colored outfit yeah. he wears, and. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the dude has a fucking moose knuckle. Like it's so tight around the crotch that it's a moose knuckle. And then it's it just kind of surprising. Everybody had a moose knuckle. It's just the well, it's, moves, you know? it's just kind of surprising because it makes it look like he doesn't have a dick. <laughs> and uh, uh, something like, that will come back in the next film. Uh, yeah. Happens. yeah. <laughs> He's walking around this shit. This film is surprisingly funny in parts. It's just Oh no, no. It's yeah. hilarious and, and I think mostly intentional, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's uh, it's just really entertaining. I feel like even if you if you listen to this, you've you've known too much. This is really just fucking entertaining. It's yeah. just a really fun, like ninety two minute movie. It's you know, of course there's some problematic shit in it. You know, it's a film from nineteen seventy three. It's yeah. simply made you know, whatever. But I, I, I really love it. I will definitely be rewatching this. It's great. Yeah, same here. Uh, it, it's a great exploitation film. If, if you're looking for an exploitation film that gives you everything you want and never slows down, Coffee is a fucking film for you, man. It's like yeah. it, it, it does everything it's, it's supposed to do. And and Pam Greer in a like session of gorgeous outfits. Yeah. You know, like, which nonetheless feel um, like they are kind of within the realm of possibility of what this character would actually wear uh, mm-hmm. you know it doesn't feel like oh this is like some high fashion thing or whatever it's just like oh yeah it's 1973 she's a gorgeous black woman you know that's what she wears Dumb. and like this film in foxy brown you see years later quentin tarantino basically aping everything from this film <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's definitely kind of a thing like watching these now because as a, as a huge fan of tarantino and like mm-hmm. i will i i make no bones about my love of tarantino and i mm-hmm. defend him from virtually everything you know and in terms of like his like people kind of criticizing his art or whatever as much as i love this film and i enjoy foxy brown and i enjoy you know tarantino is doing something different he's bringing a new kind of angle onto it and so the idea that he's just ripping off coffee or switchblade sisters or whatever like you know i feel like that's kind of a simplistic take it is but you know it was every piece of music in this film was like oh yeah yeah, that tarantino used that <laughs> well yeah the this the score is almost prevalent through jackie brown like oh, yeah, it's, no, no, it's no, everywhere no. in that film yeah no but definitely. yeah yeah no it, it's it's great it's fucking great we're gonna take a break play some more music and we're gonna come back with foxy brown
All right, Foxy Brown, 1974. When Foxy Brown comes to town, all the brothers gather round. Cause she can really shake them down. Foxy lady, Foxy lady. Pam Greer, that one chick hit squad who creamed you as coffee, is back to do a job on the mob as Foxy Brown. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Woman, she's crazy. There's no telling what she'll do. She's sweet brown sugar with a touch of spice. If you see a man anywhere, send him in, because I do need a man. And murder, if you don't treat her nice. Sounds like a public menace. Sure do. Foxy's got guts. <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts. I better warn you, I got a black belt in karate. And I got my black belt in bar stools. <laughs> She won't budge when she carries a grudge. I want justice for all of them whose lives are bought and sold so that a few big shots can climb up on their backs. Sister, I think what you're asking for is revenge. So there ain't no hope for dudes who deal dope. I swear, baby, I don't know what you're talking about. We're gonna kill ourselves a couple of niggas. No fear, Pam Greer is here as Foxy. Foxy Brown. Again, directed and written by Jack Hill. Again, starring... How did they manage to get him? I don't know. Like, it seems... <laughs> How did they get this guy? Yeah. yeah. Again, starring Pam Greer as Foxy Brown. Uh, Antonio Fargus, Huggy Bear himself as Lincoln Link Brown. Peter Brown as Steve Elias. Catherine Loder as Miss Catherine Wall, Terry Carter as Michael Anderson, Harry Holcomb as Judge Fenton, Sid Haig as Hayes, and Juanita Brown as Claudia. And we'll go into the synopsis for this. A sexy black woman, Foxy Brown, seeks revenge. <laughs> Period. Done. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> when her government agent boyfriend, Michael, is shot down by gangsters led by the kinky couple of Steve Elias and Miss Catherine from kinky Marty couple? McKee. Yeah, no, no, okay. Right, I don't right. know. It's like they, they leave it up to the viewer to. I was kind of thinking maybe there's kind of a brother and sister thing going on, maybe a little bit, but I don't know. Uh, maybe, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's there's so some, there's, it, a, there's some clear codependency issues at, at the very least, yeah. Yeah, it's so open to interpretation that you can yeah, go either way, but yeah. yet again, Daniel, what's your sort of first impressions on this one? This one, I, I will say. I had tried to watch this a couple of times, like from the beginning in the past. Mm-hmm. Never, like, it didn't grab me. Like, coffee grabs me from the, the very first frames. This, you know, you sit down, I've got a beer in front of me, I'm going to watch a little bit of it. Uh, you know, I get five minutes in and I'm, I don't, I don't, you know. I don't, it takes you know, a while to get going, doesn't it? Yeah. Really, once you get 30 minutes in, the movie is great. It does take its time getting going. I uh, was reading this is supposed to be a sequel to Coffee originally. And then they yeah. sort of, you know, rebranded it or, you know, they just decided mm-hmm. not to do that. I'm really glad this isn't a sequel to Coffee because I would actually, like, actively dislike the film as a sequel to Coffee. Or yeah. It's supposed to be the same character just because she goes through a, you know, kind of a similar plot arc. I mean, it's very much kind of the same story again, although with some uh, important differences. I mean, you know, the, the first film kind of was about like sort of the, 
you know, kind of hyper local politics of a of a neighborhood, and it's sort of about this sort of you know we've got to you know use like kind of vigilantism to kind of take down these kind of drug lords or whatever. Um, this one gets a lot more like there is no hope except for vigilante <laughs> groups like the Black yeah. Panthers. The Black Panthers will save us all, which I'm kind of on board with. You know, I'm I'm kind of I, I like I like that message. It's also uh, significantly more violent. It does have you know an actual rape sequence in it, yeah, and, uh, which is. Uh, done about as respectfully as these things were done in the in the early yeah, 70s you know but pretty, it, you know it's aim for 74 it's pretty, you know but it, but it's also um you know it is there um it does brutalize her in, in some uh in some in some pretty uh harsh ways but i think that does also you know it does that but it also again for the standards of its time it, it uses that in a way that you know, she is kind of heroic in the end and uh you know complicated feelings about it you know about the way it mm-hmm. does that but um overall i, I really do enjoy the film I do like coffee more, but I think this is, if anything, it is better made. I think her performance is better. I think all the performance mm-hmm. is better. It does feel like kind of a step up production value wise. There's a, there's a, you know, kind of more money into the costumes. There's more money into kind of the, the shooting and the kind of the, you know, the, they actually did a few takes of this stuff, you know, <laughs> um, Pam Grimm looks amazing. Um, again, some great performances and, uh, but overall, I didn't feel this. This really didn't hit me in the way that coffee was just sort of like this really great, like fun experience to sit down and watch. I don't know that I would revisit this one quite as quickly. Although I think, again, I think it's better made in a lot of ways, but it like interested me less. Yeah. No, you're right. This one, the story takes a backseat to the fact that this is basically, and you can just tell from like the opening credits, this is, they knew what a star they had in Pam Greer. And this is going to be the tailor-made starring vehicle for her. It doesn't matter the story. It's basically, she's basically female James Bond, black Mm. version kind of thing, you know? And this became like the standard. After this, this was the, this is where you get, you know, all the other black exploitation actors. Yeah, she, even Pam Greer herself, sort of, after this, she had like Sheba Baby and a couple other films that were... Mm -hmm. Very much lesser compared to this. Yeah, and, and I mean, they, I don't, I don't blame the actresses. It's just sort of like, no. oh yeah, we're just going to stamp out a bunch of clones of this because it made a shitload of money, or at least by the standards of these films. Well, I mean, if if you look at like reviews, the sort of prevalent uh, thought and reviews for like her films after this, it's always like Pam Grier is really good, and the movie itself is pedestrian, and it's like she's way yeah. better than this movie, kind of thing. She, and she's way better than like most of the stuff she's in, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah, know, like this still works really well. It, it it does take a while to get going. Sid Hag shows up really late in this film, which is kind of disappointing. Like, I love his character in this. I kind of want this movie where they're just flying a plane together and like flirting and shit. Yeah. I, I so think he's would... the pilot. That's that's who yeah. he is in this. God. Yeah such a waste of him kind of like it, he, he should have been, been he should have been one of the like one of the thugs who the mm-hmm. guy who got his balls cut off that should have been said hey you know because that's the thing that happens if you haven't seen that, <laughs> you know, spoiler alert oh no in both of these movies there's a lot of uh like male genitalia get ruined basically yeah, of... yeah. the black panthers literally cut a guy's balls off or it's genitals it's off dick. In yeah, the, it's dick because balls. Because they, they they take the pork and the beans in mm-hmm. the film, and it's not even it's Pam Greer shows up, like she kind of walks up. She's got the leather jacket on. Sorry, I'm kind of spoiling the end a little bit here. Yeah, this forty year old Black Panthers. Sorry, the Black Panthers have him like you know, they've got him trapped. 
And she gets she just gives him the nod. Yeah, go ahead. Cut like you know, they do it at her request. Just to, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, cut his balls off. Done. I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. I'm just saying uh, that's a pretty intense place for the film to go. You know? Yeah, no, it, it goes it goes very very fucking hard, very fast. Yeah. I mean, if coffee is sort of the story of sort of like a, a kind of realistic, you know, on the ground a nurse who kind of becomes a a vigilante. Uh, this is the story of a not very well defined woman who, you know, kind of comes from some level of kind of, you know, black middle class respectability and becomes a fucking revolutionary. <laughs> you know? Pam Greer in this, Foxy Brown, she's not the innocent nurse who gets basically forced to become a vigilante. This is a woman who is skirting the lines of criminality and legitimacy from the start of the film because her brother is basically a low-life scumbag and she mm-hmm. allows him to be this <laughs> like she she's she disapproves but at the same time she's like oh i'll let him you know be a scumbag and her well, if you've got a, if you've got a family member i mean i i don't have this in in my kind of immediate family but i've known people who had you know immediate family members who are into some like shitty things and mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a really tough situation to be in you know yeah not and that's like being white you know mm-hmm. much less you know if you're african-american knowing well if i report this to the cops they there's a very good chance they will just kill him you know well so, yeah she she's know. caught between a lot of different worlds though because yeah. her boyfriend is this undercover black narcotics cop who was doing an undercover job that failed eventually and to protect him they did plastic surgery on the guy to keep him (laughs) to keep him safe and basically with the help of her scumbag brother who's like kind of like is that the guy she was dating months ago who disappeared kind of thing and that sort of shit leaks out and then he eventually gets killed because of it that's what sets foxy brown into revenge mode against this yeah uh this this high class hooker operation i gotta say Fucking, what's her name? Uh, Catherine Loader as uh, Catherine Wall. Oh, she's great. She's, she's fucking great. great. She she unfortunately died really soon too. Like she she died at thirty eight of diabetes. Oh yeah, yeah, that's rough. But uh, she's she was also in the Big Bird Cage, I believe. Um, so that would have been before. Sorry, she died uh, at thirty eight of diabetes. That's before uh, insulin by recombinant DNA and E. coli and that sort of you know like, that's what. Well, she know, was. First, uh, that's I, when I, they were literally like pulling uh, insulin from cow. You know, pain right? Pain, she you know, she was yeah. she was definitely getting insulin, but uh, I think she was misdiagnosed for a while too. Because yeah, apparently, no, no. when she, when she was filming the Big Bird Cage in the Philippines, she was sick even then, and people didn't know what the fuck it was. Like people were afraid she contracted something in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. and, and then well, di- yeah. Di- di- sorry, my mother, my mother was a diabetic like my entire childhood, and she was only diagnosed when she was like pregnant with me in nineteen eighty, or yeah. late seventy nine eighty. You know. Um, so sorry, I feel that that's, uh, that's one of those, like, yeah, yeah uh, unfortunately, uh, I I'm sure the doctors did what they could, but like, you know, fuck that. Sh- oh man. But, yeah. Anyway, but, but she's, she's fucking great. She's, she, she is amazing in this, you know, she has this like really, uh, high class theatrical operatic almost kind of delivery and mm-hmm. the way she does her stuff, which is just kind of compelling. Like I re- and also at the same time, it kind of helps make her feel like there's something weird going on here with her, with, with her and her, and her man. It feels like there's something a little freaky deaky going on in the background, even though it's, they're not outright kinksters. On oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? There's something. There's something definitely going on. I mean, this this is one where some of the character interrelationships, I, it just kind of wasn't quite following all the. 
details of it. I was just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, partly that's because it spent 30 minutes like, kind of getting up to speed. If it had spent 15 minutes getting up to speed, then maybe, uh, you know, I would have, anyway. Um, <laughs> no, but I love her performance, and I love the way she's introduced, because at first it's, uh, you know, you're seeing from the back of this, like, kind of big, you know, chair, mm-hmm. and you don't really see the person that the, the thugs are talking to, and then she kind of turns, and then you see, like, kind of the the pale, very thin wrist and hand. And then you kind of get the cutaway and then you find out, oh, she's actually the the ringleader of all this. And, uh, you know, again, kind of one of those mid-70s uh, feminist kind of things kind of going on with that. You yeah, know, or, there's you a know. little bit of that, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you get a lot of this where, where Foxy Brown, she becomes part of the hooker team and she teams up this other female and they go on a job. Who Claudia is one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, yeah. she's probably my favorite character in the whole thing, and uh, we should we should take it. Go go ahead and finish your thing, but we should definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Juanita Brown, who actually has the only real like kind of human story in this film, you know, other than Foxy Brown, she's the one who has some gravitas and and and, well, and well, something going on. She she's someone who at first she's just kind of like, oh, you're gonna go with her, and she's the experienced, you know complicated feelings about using this word here but you know she's the experienced whore mm-hmm. she's gonna gonna go off and kind of do the thing you learn very quickly you know oh no this is fine we're just gonna go we're gonna do the thing it's you know you don't uh don't rock the boat uh we've got to do this right or else uh we're gonna get sent off to <laughs> a building in haiti where like mm-hmm. thing goes which is like uh you know and you, you got to get the performance. She shudders, and it, it's a it's a really affecting moment. And then you realize this is a mom. She has like a kid that she hasn't seen in six months. She's got a husband yep. who is leaving her, and all of that grounds this film in a way that it's hard to you know on a on a kind of script level in terms of uh, you know like okay let's kind of we're making an exploitation film uh-huh. from A to point B. This is what we do: violence and blood and sex and tits and you know all this. And this is this little moment in the film that sells this as kind of a real world. And yeah. the film is so much better for it. You know, mm-hmm. it both feels outside of the film, but it improves the film at the same time. I think. Right. It ele- I mean, I, I hate to say elevates cause it's kind of a complicated kind of thing as well. Mm-hmm. But it turns the film from kind of a genre exercise, you know, kind of going through the motions kind of, you know, we're just kind of sitting here and watching the violence happen to something that kind of has human people in it. And particularly after that, then they still go on the the trick. They still go Mm -hmm. on the the date with the guy. And, you know, she's like, oh yeah, I just take some downers and I just kind of don't care anymore. Then they, they kind of, they, they run into this judge who they're supposed to. And at first I thought Pam Greer was fucking this woman over by, you know, fucking up the trick, you know, and Mm -hmm. and making it, you know, it uh, because, the whole thing is they're supposed to like fuck this guy and then he's going to give members of the gang like a light sentence or whatever. And then, but really it's like, I don't know that time that he was fucking that nine-year-old, like she was totally into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I second. As as if the judge wouldn't know that already, first of all, but, but also, you know, kind of reminding him and then, um, you know, Although, they kind of humiliate I, him, and and we can talk about that for a minute. But I love that. At first, I thought she's kind of fucking this other girl over, and I was. But then also, uh, Claudia is kind of well. It doesn't really matter anymore anyway, because I don't really have anything else to live for, and so I might as well do something good while I'm. You know, like they're gonna like kill me and torture me or whatever. But ultimately, yeah. 
what else? And uh, there's such there's a there's a real like you know it's it's heightened it's black exploitation it's not real but there is a reality there there is a kind mm-hmm. of human moment uh, right there and I and I love that in this film. I gotta say like <laughs> uh, the if I was that judge these two fucking hot call girls basically yep. telling me about criminals <laughs> and the shit they did that ain't killing my boner <laughs> i got pam greer i got this other chick she's stripping she's wearing this like really sexy 70s style underwear yeah, like, yeah. i'm i'm on top i'm, I'm aboard it's 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 hard it's hard it's like okay no tell 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 me more about the nine-year-old I, yeah I tell me more about the bad criminals yeah tell me more it's fine yeah no mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to say no in that moment. I, I definitely. Although, uh, you know, <laughs> we should. You know, they literally like take his like. You know, are they actually heart boxers? Am I remembering that right? You know, where he's he's wearing yes. like, the, the heart boxers. They take and then they make fun of his dick. Like Pam Greer's like, you know, oh, was that was that what you were gonna fuck me with? Oh, I'm sure. Like it's fine. I, mean, I gotta find yeah, it he- first before you know. Like, <laughs> he says no one else ever complained, and it's like, well, I'm sure they didn't, but I mean, come on now. It's like they're probably being nice to you. <laughs> yeah. and, and he's and he's like, oh well, I can play along, and this is your thing. Oh, you're nasty, and he's and he's kind of like you know, kind of going along with it, and then it's like, no, 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 we're fucking. It's fine. This yeah. And, and and part of the thing too is that the, the sort of um, there's kind of a she killed an ecstasy vibe to to yes you know, there is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean the, they're working for you know Miss Catherine here and and she's also running a criminal enterprise because she's kind of like you know uh, extorting people that she's sending her hookers to and stuff too so that's part of the right. game as well you know but it works really well until you know. There's this almost Yojimbo moment where she gets found out of what she's doing. And basically they say, instead of killing her, they're like, well, let's inject her with heroin and make her one of our whores. We'll send her to our to our, oh, two, yeah. our, to our two drug yeah, manufacturers. First, first, we'll send her to the farm. Yeah. And the farm is somewhere, like, it's it, it's kind of implied it's in the South, maybe, but, mm. like, not really, you know, whatever. And that's, like, where they're making the heroin, and she's basically going to be a victim of repeated rape you know that's where yeah that's where she gets raped yeah um Um, of course she uh because it's pam greer mm -hmm. she finds her way out of that situation heroin ain't no thing does the does the the greatest sequence with a razor blade i've ever seen on film Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) if you ever wanted to see pam greer's tongue and a razor blade in the same in the same shot and not in a violent awful way this is the way to do that yeah, <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. She overcomes these two basically hillbilly rapists who are yep. ba- basically manufacturing the drugs for the operation. Yeah, and she fucks them both up after she gets raped. She she fucks them both up, and it's fucking beautiful. And, and they the makeup is is pretty like intense in the sense of mm-hmm. like, not only is she kind of bruised along the face or whatever, but like they've bruised her tits and all. Yeah, you know, and in this like kind of you know, there's some fetish fuel there. And I just leave it at that. But also, like, you know, it, again, it sells the reality of this in a way that a lot of these other, you know, a lot of other films kind of of this genre of this kind of moment where, oh, she's got like a slight bit of like dried blood and like yeah. the corner of her eye or whatever. And like, no, this is, she's been fucking brutalized. And, yeah, it, does, it doesn't shy away. It, it, it actually makes Pam Greer, you know, a heroine who is in 
actually it's, in per- it, peril, you know, it like sells the, it sells enough of the reality of it that like when she does escape and when she does, you know, literally use like four coat hangers as a way of like scratching people's eyes out. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I go like, yeah, no, I'm, you know, you're literally improvising. I mean, that's another thing about the coffee, which where, you know, she just kind of has a shotgun hanging around and she's got, you know, this is, she really only fires that tiny little pistol a few times. And then mm-hmm. after that, it's all like, either improvised weapons or kind of using like a bar stool or whatever, or, uh, you know, getting somebody else to kind of do some of the dirty work. In a lot of ways that, that feels a little bit more realistic in the sense of what does she actually have available to her, you know, the the bar stool. Let's talk about that fucking lesbian bar for a second. That, that is, I want to, I want to, I'm again, I will apologize for, for a certain, um, objectification of language here, but I'd like to say that's not a lesbian bar. Well, no, that's I a, mean that's a think, that's a dyke bar. That's a okay, dyke bar. Well, okay, whatever. This but is, I mean, this is, this is 1973. No one making this film said like, "Oh yeah, this is a very soft and fluffy." Lesbian. No, no, no. This is this is like lesbian dyke trucker, whatever. Like, yeah, bar, it's the know? lame. It's the lamest fucking dyke bar I've ever seen in my life. Like, let's let's let's, let's not put to it say there. not to say I wouldn't go hang out there. No, but, but like, I mean. You know, they don't look like they're having a lot of fun. It's very stereotyping. Like these are unhappy women, and they're all butch. These and... are these are unhappy butch man-hating lesbians. Yeah, and then the gorgeous model-looking Claudia walks in because apparently this is the bar that's like super close to Pam Greer's apartment or something. <laughs> yeah. I think you know. I don't, I don't know. Like it, it feels like she just kind of walks into this bar. And, wow, like that's a moment in this film. You know, I kind of get the feeling Pam Greer might have shown up in this bar a time or two. You know, when she was a little hard up. Who knows? Um, you know. <laughs> For all the like feminist leanings and stuff you do see in these films, then you go to this and just wow. <laughs> okay, yeah. nineteen seventy four. I get. I get it. Okay. Yeah, no, it's 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 very embedded in that particular moment. I mean, people say a lot of times with, you know, in despair, like, oh, you couldn't make this film anymore because it's got... Well, yeah, yeah can, you... society has moved on from this, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I understand that if you watch this and can't and don't think that this is, like, a valid way to spend your time, I'm 100% on board with this. But also, this was really important in the moment for the audience it was made for and like yeah. had its value at the time. And if you can kind of distance yourself from that, it's still kind of, it's still really entertaining, you know? So it works. It's a fun fight scene. It's, it's pretty good. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And then, and then you get another, and I, and I feel like the only reason it's like a lesbian bar is just so you get more girl fights. Although this uh, is, you know, not nearly the like gorgeous models uh, throwing food at each other thing that we got in coffee, which, you know, I could rewatch that scene like a hundred times. It's oh like, yeah. That fucking fight scene. If you didn't know better, you would think it was like a 1986 comedy with all the fucking tops getting ripped open. You oh know? yeah. Like, it's literally like girl falls down, top comes off. There yeah. we go. The one regret I had, and this is my, uh, this is, this is where I feel bad about this. The Asian girl doesn't have her top taken. Off. Yeah. I was, I was also disappointed. I was like, yeah, yeah. It's, really? Like, no, like, come on. Really? We're not going to do that. Like, everybody else's top got taken off, you know? I want to see some of those Asian titties. Come on, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, come on. <laughs> Am I going to have to watch a Japanese film to see Japanese titties? No, I yeah, need to see but... American-made Japanese film titties. That's the, what that's the does coffee have against the Japanese race that I can't yeah, see their titties? Apparently, like, the film is just deeply, deeply racist. Deeply racist, racist. yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, it is, but also like you know. We're... Yeah, you know, in, in a weird way, it definitely is. You know, I enjoy the fact that this movie blatantly gives us a model airplane landing. Sure. Yep. <laughs> it's so obvious. It's like there's no forced perspective at all. It's just yeah, that's a model airplane. And we're supposed to pretend that that's landing somewhere. You okay. might as well have like a guy's hand, like you know, moving <laughs> in there. You know, one of the thugs might as well have the fucking remote control flying the yeah. fucking model plane. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I kind of feel like this—the way this movie ends—it kind of feels like there should be a sequel because Miss Catherine has no reason not to get revenge on fucking yeah, Pam. I, I feel like it's sort of setting up for a sequel, but you know. Never happens. Really it's like yeah, it's, it's, it's not like she's. It's not like her criminal empire is destroyed. Foxy Brown killed a bunch of her thugs. Yeah, but she still has all of her money supposedly, and she probably still has all of her connections. She could get new thugs. She could yeah. go after Th- fucking thugs Foxy are Brown. cheap. That's 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 why yeah. that's why they're thugs. You know, like you know, although I, I like that. Or like a bunch of guys thugs. in like leisure suits who are like willing to like commit violence for drugs. Yeah, no. It's 1974. This is not like a a, a diminishing population. You know? I, I do like that one of her thugs is like a super fucking sadist and shit, though. Like, he's really, really super fucking mean and nasty. Other things I like about this, just little small moments. I like that Jesus apparently doesn't approve of hospital sex, where that nurse, that God-fearing nurse comes in and interrupts Foxy Brown having sex with her yeah. fucking man in the hospital. She gives, she gives a blowjob in both of these films, and uh, both are appreciated but only one is completed so you know. yeah i like that there's some captain kirk style fighting in this uh mm-hmm. there there's that that's a point where uh foxy brown is walking down the street with her man who's just had his face lift and you know he's she's trying to reintroduce him into the population as this different guy that no one knows and then there's like this undercover like cop who's trying to catch a pimp or whatever. Yep. And, and there's just this fight sequence, which is just straight out of fucking Star Trek. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so ridiculous. I love that the, there's, a, there's a chase scene where it's, yeah, we're just going to throw a bunch of bottles in your way. And then uh, the glass might get in your eyes if you get too close. Yeah, so you gotta, yeah. like, it's it's a little bit like like in a video game when like you like light the thing on fire and then they can't follow you because <laughs> like, you know. Like yeah. it, it, it does feel a little bit like that. So yeah. Uh, also, in the opening of this film, I got to say that taco stand that uh, Link goes to, mm-hmm. fastest taco service I've ever oh, seen. I but, would totally sit and eat tacos at this place. But yes, but there's a reason that this is the fastest taco service you ever seen. Because when you look at them eat these tacos, there's nothing but lettuce in those fucking. Things. Yeah, no, no, it's so lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> can i tell you my favorite like taco move moment in a film that i've seen like recently you know? please do please I do i saw i saw a machete right and mm-hmm. uh <laughs> the like white politicians family like they're eating like they're supposed to be in texas like near the border or whatever mm-hmm. and they're literally sitting they're having tacos for dinner and it's literally like tortillas and cheese and lettuce <laughs> and, and if you if you look at it, it's like it's literally like, oh, would you like another taco? And there's no meat at all in it, and it's very like kind of obviously, oh yeah, this is white people tacos. And yeah, I'm just like actually, well done, Robert Rodriguez. Like, and the funny thing was, everybody I was sitting there with who had all seen the movie before never noticed that, and I'm like, no, no, no these are white people tacos. It's fine. You know? <laughs> I notice fucking tacos. I have really good taste for a white person for tacos, and uh, you know. 
Yeah. Uh, so we'll go through some trivia first for uh, both these movies before we get sure. to the DVD info. For Coffee, I just want to go into some a little bit of Pam Greer history here. How she started out, she could not afford film school, so uh, she actually won prize money from entering beauty pageants to pay for her tuition. Yep. She became like a switchboard operator for uh, different Hollywood agent offices. Uh, as well as some other small jobs and eventually worked her way into American international pictures. And then she got small parts in Russ Meyer's Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, one of the notable ones. She worked theater, sang backup for Bobby Womack and Sly Stone. She landed her first role in Roger Corman's Big Dollhouse in 1971 did Big Bird Cage and Black Mama, White Mama. Jack Hill basically took her on and popularized her sort of persona as this you know, aggressive, independent female who was liberated and at the same time could be objectified in a, in a cool way. You know, like, you know, it's like, hey, Pam Greer's naked, but she's totally on board with you. <laughs> Pam Greer's naked. naked, but she will cut your balls off with a giant knife. So, exactly. You know, yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, she did Slaughter and Blackula. She had small parts in those films. And when she went with Jack Hill, that kind of launched her career. And she actually beat out Cleopatra Jones in the box office. A few weeks they were released before Cleopatra Jones made more in the in the box office and became the first black exploitation film to feature a black woman as its star and gave birth to America's first action heroine. Like she legit yeah. is first action heroine leading role kind of thing in, in films. No, I, I believe it. And you know, that's, that's amazing. You know, yeah. a couple other things with coffee. I mean, I mean, people, people kind of criticize like the, the black exploitation stuff for being, you know, Oh God, it's stereotypical. It's like drugs and communities and all that stuff. And like, there's a complicated kind of political reading and I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't necessarily want to, I'm not trying to get into that, but at the same time, how many actors got paid? for this how many like african like if you're african-american and you're an actor and you're not wanting to you know like you know play the stereo and you're not wanting to like play the third banana in the in the background somewhere like this is where you go and pam gurr has had a 40-year career based on like these she's, had a, she's, she's had a consistent nearly 50 career. years like 45 years she's been uh-huh. an actress and uh, she got her start right here. And yeah, Hollywood is fucking racist. That's terrible. I'm not defending that. If you're Pam Greer, you take what you can get and you make the career you can. And, you know, she's had a better career than a bunch of the, like, you know, white mm-hmm. character actors and white, you know, like there, there's plenty of people with much less talent who got their start in much higher places than this that did not last as long as Pam Greer has, you know, so. Yeah, no, you... You can you can argue the merits and the and the politics all you want uh, about black exploitation films because some of them are really bad, some of them are really good. There's no steady through line through all of them. But ask the fucking actors, the producers, the directors what they thought of the films when they're making them, and then come back to me and and talk about it then about how offended you are or whatever. That's that's fine. But again, go back to Coffee. The idea to hide various weapons in Coffee's afro came from Pam Greer. So that was her <laughs> idea, which is great. Which that like that's just a, an awesome gimmick for a black exploitation film like. Yeah. Uh, um she stabs the guy's neck with like a hairpin and that's mm-hmm. amazing. yeah. Yeah. Forgot about that detail, you know. Uh Vitteroni's home was actually the western movie legend Roy Rogers' home that oh. they filmed it. Which oh, is cool. That's like, so A, cool. B, 
just makes all this way more like politically complicated. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? You're literally in Roy Rogers' home, and suddenly, you know, God, yeah, that's uh, black exploitation film doing old Hollywood as their sets. Yeah, that's kind of that's that's, well, that's pretty and, and like kind of doing the Roy Rogers thing of you know we're we're criticizing fifties westerns through like this. Mm. because <laughs> like if if um if coffee is kind of a noir I was kind of thinking Foxy Brown is kind of a western where like kind of you know the classic western is you know like the outsider comes into yeah. town and like cleans up the neighborhood and Foxy Brown is very much she's not really an outsider but she's kind of a outside the neighborhood yeah kind of comes in and cleans up town and so some of the differences in the way that these things work just kind of structurally are kind of a nor western friction a little bit you know yeah. and then i don't want i don't know I, I was just kind of thinking about that i don't want to push it too hard here but uh you know you know this podcast goes i just like suggest things and then like uh really clever people uh, have clever things to say about it so. yeah so you know clever people jump on this people, ship. people smarter than me will write this up it's fine. <laughs> uh also this movie was remade as the drug connection in 1976 and lovely but deadly in 1981 so lovely but deadly is such a it's such a noir like you know some somebody's on on board with uh you know my interpretation is all i'm gonna say Sweet. For trivia with... I'm just uh, trying to delay the end of this episode by interrupting Lee as often as possible at this point, you know. Hey, that's how this goes. For the Foxy Brown trivia, according to director Jack Hill, this was originally intended to be a sequel, as you uh, mentioned, to Coffee. The working title for this film was going to be Burn, Coffee, Burn, apparently, Mm. which is kind of a funny pun on its own. However... (laughs) Burn, Coffee, Burn, also known as Starbucks. Uh, however, uh, American International Pictures decided at the last minute they didn't want to do a sequel for some stupid reason because you know <laughs> they actually made money on fucking coffee. Well, for some for some stupid reason, financially, but a really good reason um, artistically. Is yeah, I'm concerned. You know, even though uh, coffee was a huge hit, that's why it's never said exactly what kind of job Foxy Brown has. It's coffee was a nurse, of course, and they never mentioned anything about Foxy Brown's job. But uh, you know, Jack Hill, after some finagling and some fucking shit, he decided to come back and do the film. So good, good on that. Born Inga Marchland, rapper Foxy Brown, took her stage name from this film, which. Kind of pisses me off because when I was searching for Foxy Brown, I was getting like a lot of links to her on Google. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I don't care about this rap star. I don't give a shit. And it's like I just want to find Pam Greer in this movie, and you're stopping me from doing this. Fuck off. Before the character of Michael is killed, he walks past a parking meter that says "Time expired," which is okay. <laughs> That's cool. It's <laughs> a nice Appar- moment. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, and I did not see this anywhere in the film maybe i was watching an edited version that doesn't show this but apparently tommy chong has an uncredited role as a as a pilot in this film uh i'm assuming it must be in the like the pilot bar or whatever that Foxy goes to probably one of the people talking to sid Haig, and you just see the back of his head i'm assuming that's maybe tommy chong in this film there's so so many so many people like oh yeah you know role uncredited it's like yeah, they're in a crowd scene somewhere. They're in like four frames if you go and hunt through. Yeah, them. yeah. 
But you know, okay, if he's in there, that's great. It's it's on his IMDb credits, so it must be legit, of course. It must be real because IMDb never makes any mistakes. Mm-hmm. Kimberly Hyde from the Cheerleaders is one of Miss Catherine's girls in this film. Uh, she's the oh, who, blonde, who? She's the blonde girl in the Cheerleaders who is pounced upon by the lesbian gym teacher, and they do like the the sex scene on the gym machine. Yep, and she's she's like the blonde girl with Miss the, Catherine with the uh, fucked up she, back. Yes. Yeah, no. No. It's a no, different. No. No. Sorry. Sorry. I got. I got the two films confused. Sorry. Yeah. No. When Pam Greer first comes into Miss Catherine's place, Miss Catherine's talking to this girl, basically criticizing the fact that her shirt's a little too tight and she's a little too fat or something like that. Like she's. Oh right. Right. Yeah. 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 You get to see her nipples quite prominently in those scenes, and mm-hmm. it was glorious. No, I mean she's she's an attractive woman, and I was just like, I know her from somewhere. She was in the cheerleaders, and then I checked and double checked, and was like, "Yeah, she was in the cheerleaders." And I'll admit my deficiencies. You had a better eye for that, you know. No, it was just it was just like a small bit part, and I was like, "Fuck, holy shit, I know her!" And yeah, so there you go. I will just to go back. I did. Uh, I did really love the sequences among the prostitutes, mm-hmm. the uh, the penthouse in uh, coffee. Yeah, much more so than in uh, Foxy Brown. Like I really love this sort of the. <laughs> you know the working girl and by which emphasis on working like this this feels from what i know which i've never actually like worked in sex work but i've like read a lot of stuff and i've kind of listened to like i've filmed people who are like sex workers and yeah there's somebody on the phone who will uh you know kind of take in the calls uh do the thing and then like describe the girl and then go like yeah you gotta go give a blowjob in the guy's office like <laughs> then you know, all right, fine. You know, like it's such a, it's a job, right? It's a thing. It, it feels very real to me in that, like, you know, it's very grounded. I, I loved that element. Yeah, no, that's a funny moment. That secretary basically looks over like, well, I'm a blonde with big tits and, you know, yeah, I can be over there anytime. And, and, the, and the blonde is like this girl who has like, oh, yeah, your fantasy. I know all about that. And I think it's really hot. And this is like, you got to give him a blowjob in his office. And it's like, how, what is the most like standard thing that some fucking executive is going to want? Like, like, Oh, you're the first person to ever think of this. You know, like, I love how she's, she's talking to this guy on the phone and she's got, you know, like basically a standard American accent. And the blonde is clearly like British or something like that. You know, like she's got a different accent. She's being massaged or whatever. She's got like back herpes or something going on. I don't know what the fuck is going on with her. Like there's something about her back. The impression it's like a bed sore kind of thing. I guess if if she's fucking that much on her back, Jesus, she must be working hard. I, that's all I got to say. Working but, hard, hardly working is all I'm saying. Wah, wah. <laughs> Whackity schmackity do. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it, respect for sex workers on this podcast, and are not like uh, it's it's completely. Uh, we're making fun of the film. Not uh, the profession. For all the uh, Bordello workers who listen to this podcast, we respect your profession. I would love to find that, like we have, uh, we have like hundreds of Bordello workers like sharing this podcast, and that would be so good. I would, you know what? I'd I'd be perfectly fine with that. If our entire audience were sex workers, oh yeah, I think that would be great. You know, it would be great, uh, and I mean that not ironically. I actually do respect. No, you. I don't either. <laughs> that that would be fucking awesome. That would be great. Also, I just want to mention that uh, one of the rapists in Foxy Brown, uh, the bald guy, 
is H.B. Haggerty, who was a pro wrestler before he uh, got into his uh, acting career. He was actually a 20-year professional pro wrestler, actually a fairly successful one. So he graduated from being a professional wrestler and taking a chair to the head to fake rape Pam Greer. Well, he wouldn't have taken a chair to the head in his career at that time. That that wouldn't have happened. But Are you getting technical with me about your wrestling knowledge? I am. I really am, because he wouldn't have taken a chair to the uh, head back in the day. When he, they didn't hit people in the head with chairs? In the, in no. The no? They didn't 60, do 60, 70s, they didn't do that, no. I actually knew that. I was expecting you to, to pull that out in your... Uh, you know, <laughs> but yeah, uh, unfortunately, uh, he died in like 2001 in a car crash, which is sad. Like, well, the, re- the results of a car crash, he had like a broken neck and shit and died. Shortly. <laughs> the results of a car crash. Well, no, he, he survived the car crash and then oh, died. Like, I, I get it. I get it completely. It's like in the crash, he died like 15 minutes later. He didn't die 15 minutes. No, later. He, it was a little while after, but he, he died, decided to. Complications, and I'm glad you're so amused by that. That's, I'm sorry, H.B. Haggerty. Daniel's an asshole. I am an asshole. I actually really like his performance in the film, even though he's playing a complete a dick bag who is uh, an asshole rapist, whatever. But uh, you know, no, he he gives a great performance, a very memorable performance in this film, and I really appreciated it. And I was just kind of laughing at the <laughs> nonsense that Lee and I produce it two hours into this podcast. You know? right. We just get to the like drunken point of like, uh, what are we going to do except uh, laugh? You're a fucking monster. Coffee's budget was $500,000. Box office was $2 million, uh, in rentals alone. So I assume there's a lot more going on after that. You know, like yeah. lots of money. Lots of money. It was a big success. The biggest, the biggest movie. It was great. DVD info for that, MGM 2001 DVD and all of films released a 2015 Blu-ray. And then we go to Foxy Brown. Budget was 500000 and they made $2.4 million box office. And the DVD info is exactly the same. MGM 2001 DVD, all of films, 2015 Blu-ray. So there you go. Coffee is available if you're an Amazon Prime member. Apparently there are two versions of this. One of them is on Prime. One of them is not. I watched the version on Prime because I'm a Prime member. I didn't... Watched the other because it would have cost me four bucks just to see if there was a difference. And I was like, fuck that shit. But um, yeah, the version on Prime is great. Foxy Brown is available on the uh, Stars uh, subscription if you have okay. Amazon. Typically at this point, I just kind of do the thing of like, oh, if I find this on Stars, you you sign up for the month for eight ninety nine, and then you cancel it immediately and then just kind of watch some other stuff while you have it. So um, that's what I'd recommend you do if you want to watch it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do like to. I do like to like pay for this shit. You know, at least on some level. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I both these movies are great. Definitely have to watch them um, if you haven't already. And uh, yeah, so uh, Daniel, what are we? What do you? What do you think we we're gonna do uh, next time? Uh, we we have some black exploitation stuff, kind of uh, on on the docket. But yeah, uh, no, I think we're going to do the uh, kind of Black History Month thing and we're going to do some uh, some films about racist shitheads. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is something that we, we kind of talked about ahead of time, but I think we're going to do the two Black Klansmen films. And that is, there's one from the late 60s called Black Klansmen, uh, which we're going to watch, which I have not seen, but it is on Amazon Prime. And then the uh, also we're going to do the uh, Spike Lee Black Klansmen with the three Ks in the middle film. 
And uh, I'm I, I rewatched a bit of Black Klansman, the Spike Lee one, uh, this week, and uh, I'm I'm interested in seeing kind of what you think about that, Lee. So uh, yeah, cool. If, if I would uh, dare suggest, after we do that, we should do Truck Turner with Isaac Hayes. Sure, I think that would be a good one to do. Uh, and we got to do that tick tick tick. Yes, that was the other one I was going to suggest. We we oh, we do that Truck Turner and tick 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 next time and. I think uh, we've talked about doing The Imposter, which is the uh, mm-hmm. uh, film about the Klan with William Shatner. I think we might do that one as its own episode. because That'd be great. I, I've seen that, and it's actually really fascinating. Because when we do two films, it's kind of a two-hour episode at this point. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we do one film, we get it done in 45 minutes, it's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. I'm all right for editing a couple of like big episodes, but you know, it, it definitely has been nice doing these like one hour episodes, which is like, I can, I can knock this off a couple hours and get it done, but you know, whatever. I don't care. It's, it's all fun. So, so uh, Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter at Daniel E. Harper. If you want to come and chat at me and kind of say nasty things about the things I say on this podcast, I would, I would appreciate that. I do have uh, my big thing that I'm doing right now in terms of podcasting is a podcast called I Don't Speak German. I'm doing that with uh, my friend Jack Graham, who's been on this podcast a few times, two, three times. And that is, I've been researching neo Nazis for two years. And this is me talking about all the things that I know about neo Nazis that almost no one else most recent episode uh if you go look at it uh this week is about the aftermath of the unite the right rally and uh sort of the Covington catholic kids and sort of the semiotics around that and sort of the way that they frame things within the narrative of the media and the one that we're going to be recording tomorrow is going to be about the crying nazi uh, (laughs) oh man Oh my God, I have no idea how that's going to go. I've been collecting notes for you know, like a long time and we're just, I don't know, uh, we're, we're going to figure it out. But uh, yeah, so that's what, go check that out. Uh, yeah. Liking that. People, uh, particularly episode three, people said they cried at that episode. So, you know, that's really Wow. Awesome. And you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find all the requisite links to us at Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook. And of course, if you want to go to Facebook, you'll find out all the stuff that's coming up on the podcast and all amazing, exciting happenings in our podcasting lives. It's it's all there for you. I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying. I'm blabbling at this point. It's bullshit. One in the morning. Let's go to bed. Yeah, we're kind of drunk. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Daniel. And we'll see you next time for some more black exploitation goodness. Goodbye. Cheers.
been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>